a blessed thing to see. I'm going to put in a cough drop here. For some reason, I, I, I just feel kind of cruddy. All right. Chapter 3 here. We're just going to read these first 13 verses here, this chapter, and then we'll just kind of dive right into it. It sort of breaks off into uh, Timothy's visit and then sort of the, the response and things that comes through it. Uh, Paul's praying for this church. It is a wonderful thing for the church of Thessalonica that Paul's praying for them. Uh, it's a wonderful thing that you should know that when we put out these uh, bulletins and they have prayer lists on them, we pray uh, that we're praying for one another. It should be, bring comfort to know that. There is nothing more comforting than to know that we're lifted up to the Lord um, on the behalf of other people. And, and what we're going to see in this is that Paul is going to be making some progress here with how he's feeling because he's been so concerned and, and so much defending uh, his ministry and defending the Lord, uh, the Lord's work through him. And as well, we're going to see that the church is brought to this wonderful place where they begin to move forward. And when we think about this, how fitting it is that we're, here we are at a new year and we're looking at the church of Thessalonica as they are making progress, moving forward. That should be our goal as well. Now let's look here. Verse number one tells us, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother our min uh, and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know for this cause when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus, uh, Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before, your God, before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable and holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Sort of help out here, if we look at verse 13, we find the purpose, really much of this whole book. This letter is being written in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. Paul lived as if Jesus could come any day because he could have came any day. The church at Thessalonica was to live that way. The early church was to live that way. You and I are to live that way. We often think of the end times being just so far in the future that we'll never see it, but things are getting bad now. We have to understand that the, the rapture, as he's going to get into in chapter 4, it is imminent, meaning this, it could happen any day, any minute, any hour, any time, right? We sing songs about it, there used to be joy about it, and there still should be, because what it does is it is causing us to have our hearts established, strengthened, to be used in the midst of times of tribulation and trials and persecution, as the church at Thessalonica was facing, as you and I might be facing or starting to see that we might face or coming in the future that we will face. All right. Now, let's get into this. Verses one through five. We're going to see Timothy's visit here. Sort of the, the purpose of sending Timothy verses one through three here. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear. We thought it good to be left at Athens 
alone and to send Timothy here. Uh, one commentator writes, because of Paul's eager desire to see the Thessalonians, and he has expressed this already in chapters 1 and 2. He's defended this time and time again. Earlier in chapter 2, he described his love and his care for them as a father who teaches his children, but as well as a mother who guards and loves and cares for her young. Then we get into this. He has shown this, and here as the commentator continues, he says, because of Paul's eager desire to see the Thessalonians and because his way back to them was blocked, remember, he had just said in chapter 2, verse 18, wherefore we uh, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. There's a roadblock, if you will. He devised a plan to find out how they were getting along in their Christian life. After leaving Thessalonica, the apostles established a church in Berea, and then under pressure, Paul left for Athens. Here, the separation from his Thessalonian friends became unbearable. Now, when we see this, what we're going to find is that we often think that Paul, and what he had been accused of and had answered in chapters 1 and 2, is that he was not some sort of fly-by-night evangelist. He wasn't just rolling in, preaching some good sermons, seeing some people saved, and then rolling out and heading to the next place. He cared for the souls that he labored for. He cared for the souls that had trusted Jesus. He cared for the souls that now were being uh, persecuted by the same people that persecuted him. What we find is that Paul is not merely a preacher. He is not merely an evangelist. He's not merely a tent maker or a missionary or a church planner. He is not just an apostle. He is a pastor, a pastor's care. He cares for the flock of God. He cares that they grow. He cares that they continue to uh, abound in faith and love and practice uh, of living the Christian life. He cares for the very souls. He cares for their well-being. He cares for who they are. He doesn't just care that they think ill of him or might think ill of him because what he's going to come to find out is that they didn't believe that stuff. They didn't believe those lies and the reports that were going around about him. But what we find is true pastoral care. Paul's pastoral care and concern for the converts is seen in that he could no longer forbear to not hear about the state of their faith. You and I should take that as a a, a wonderful thing when a pastor cares enough for us to ask how you're doing, right? On a personal level, when I ask how you're doing, I'm not asking you because I want you to tell me what everyone else has already told me by the time I get to you, which is doing good. Living the dream. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what happens, right? We give these answers oftentimes. I do it as a pastor myself because I have, I have pastor friends and, and, and mentors, people who pastor me because I need pastors too. And what I find is that when they ask questions, they're not meddling. They're not trying to find out something good and juicy about me to preach on. They're trying to help. They care for me. You and I must understand here as we look at this passage is what Paul's expressing is his deep care for them. Paul would rather be left alone in Athens than to not be able to pastor the Thessalonian people. There's a danger and a lack of discipleship. Paul cares not merely about converts. Paul is not walking around with his preaching stick going, Another one saved, another one saved, another one saved, another one saved. Do the little slash thing so it shows that it's five, right? And go another one, another one, another another. Boom. Look at all these, look at all these salvations. Paul cares about doing what God had called him to do and us to do. And that's to not just see souls saved, 
but to make disciples. I believe that you can know that a disciple has been made when that disciple starts attempting to make other disciples. Many of us have not gotten deep enough in the first stage of following Christ, committed wholeheartedly, learning. To be a disciple, it literally meant to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus, to live for Jesus, to know Him, uh, to, to live with Him, to, um, to know Him inside and out, and to be committed to all that He commands, all that He desires, that He is the, the motivation, He is the message, He is the mission, He is the end all. He is everything, right? Paul desires that they would be established in this. He cares for them. Discipleship is not a program. It's God's program, but it's not a, found in just a, a one, two, three, or an ABC step process. One can't be a, a disciple or be made a disciple by just simply being given a sheet or a book. It is a lifelong process of continuously being a disciple and continuously seeking to disciple others. We can never disciple others until we ourselves are discipled. The same way I can't pastor others if I'm not being pastored. And making disciples is not merely the pastor or the deacon or the Sunday school teacher's job, but it's the commission to each of us to see souls not merely saved and then left to themselves and their own devices. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine having a baby, right? You have a baby, and then here's what you do. You take the baby and you go, wow, look at this beautiful new creation. This is a miracle of God. I'm going to leave it all to itself outside. Of course not, Ruger. Right? <laughs> it's not happening. No, you need care, don't you? That child is dependent. Now think about this. What us good Baptists, unfortunately, have been really good at for a long time is seeing babies born. And we've been really bad at leaving them to themselves or out in the wilderness where there's danger lurking. We need to make disciples. Paul shows here that he has a deeper care to not merely go, did you get saved? Did you get saved? Did you get saved? But are you following Jesus? Are you still committed to Christ? It takes time. It takes adversity. It takes faith. It takes endurance. Morris writes, Paul uses a strong term, katalipo, which is to describe his being left in Athens. It can be used of abandoning, as in Ephesians 5.31, of a man leaving his parents when he marries, and often of dying, Mark 12.19. It expresses a sense of desolation reinforced by the emphatic alone. It was with a very real sense of deprivation that Paul had said goodbye to Timothy, though he knew that his helper's departure had been necessary. He had felt himself abandoned. He had had to face the cultured philosophers and idolaters of Athens and to face them alone. If you go and you look at the establishment of, Thessalonian, of the Thessalonian church, uh, they see converts, then they see persecution, they're driven out, they go to the next place, and they go to the next place, and then Paul is there and says, Timothy, you've got to go back. I would rather stay here. And be literally, the idea of this word is, I would rather be abandoned to whatever will come and happen to me to make sure that those believers are growing and are safe. Now, let's go back to this 
example, if you will. What would you do if you heard right now, if everyone just got alerted that there was a two-year-old child naked and outside seen last in this neighborhood? We're probably canceling Sunday school, ain't we? We're, we're going looking. Why? Because we want to make sure that they're okay. Now, what if I said that there's that two-year-old child out there naked and afraid in this neighborhood, but there's also a pack of wolves? It makes it all the more urgent, doesn't it? Would you be more concerned or less concerned? You'd be all the more concerned, wouldn't you? But you would also become more concerned for the child and less concerned for your own safety, wouldn't you? You would go, what must be done for that child? Think about this. Paul is going, I'd rather be left to the wolves myself than to leave this new church to the danger of the world, to be eaten alive, right? Here, he cares. So he sends Timothy. Timothy is not just one that he has discipled, but he is one that has worked alongside him. This is what discipleship should look like, by the way. We often think that discipleship is just a teacher and a learner. But what it is, is it's two learners, except one learner has been learning a lot longer. Does that make sense? It, uh, uh, the one who's making a disciple is still a learner, but now he's teaching the younger one how to learn too. With this, I'm grateful and thankful that I, I had a, a people in my life who discipled me, and they didn't do so just by teaching me things, but by walking with me through things, living through things, going, hey, why don't you come and go on a, a, a visit with me? How about you help me with this service? How about you do this? How about we pray together, right? How about we do this, that, right? It's done together. That's how it works. So Timothy was more than prepared to go and do this. He was equipped by God, taught by Paul, encouraged and sent by the Spirit of God to be used of God. And Timothy goes, and then here's Timothy's description. When we think of Timothy, in my mind, we think of sort of this timid young man who's afraid, who's sort of maybe just the, the, the sidekick and not even a good one to Paul. I know in my mind, when we look at the Scriptures, we see Timothy and Paul's writing to Timothy, be strong, preach the Word, and all these things through the ends of his life. And I often think in my mind that Timothy is just some sort of, of weak, hardly usable Christian. Rather, on the contrary, here's how Paul himself describes Timothy. This is how you know that Timothy was a disciple. Not a disciple of Paul, but a disciple of Christ. This is how you know who he really was. It says in St. Timothy, in verse number 2, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you, to comfort you for concern, uh, you concerning your faith. Timothy is a true spiritual brother in Christ. He is described as a servant of God and a fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus. The idea is not just that Timothy works for the Lord, but works with the Lord. He, like Paul, does nothing without the guidance of the Spirit of God, the leading of the Spirit of God. He is dependent upon God to do the work of the ministry. And anyone that does ministry without God in it is not doing ministry. 
That's for any of us today. God must be in it. And we even sing a wonderful song, Little is much when God is in it. Right? We, we might not have a big ministry. We might feel that we don't have a big part to play. But if you're playing your part and you're doing so with the Lord in it, God is the one that gives the increase. You might be small, right? You think of David. But God increased him. He didn't make uh, him grow to be eight foot tall and fight Goliath then. No. He took him as he was and gave the strength to do the job that needed to be done. This is what we see in the life of Timothy. This is what we see in the life of ourselves if we trust the Lord to give us strength, to give us encouragement, to give us a job to do, and to give us the end result to do so to glorify Him. So one commentator puts it, Paul calls Timothy our brother here, but in 1 Corinthians 4.17, he says, My son, he speaks thus highly of one so lately ordained both to impress the Thessalonians with a high respect for the delegates sent to them and to encourage Timothy who seems to have been of a timid character. I think of this, what is essentially Paul doing is he's putting a stamp of approval on Timothy that the Thessalonians would make sure, and you and I, as we read this letter, would make sure that we know that Timothy is to be trusted with the gospel, that Timothy is to be trusted with the job, which is establishing the church, uh, which we'll get into in in a moment, and to comfort the church, right, concerning their faith. It is... It is like this. This is a sort of a letter of recommendation, if you will. Right? He's saying, I sent Timothy, and here's why I sent Timothy. Because Timothy can go in my stead. Timothy can do what I want to do for you, but I can't get to you right now. I might be hindered, but Timothy can go. And Timothy can establish you. Timothy can comfort you. That's a wonderful thing. Because it shows that the church didn't hinge on the Apostle Paul. The church does not and should not hinge on one man. But all parts doing their part. Does that make sense? And with this, we continue when we see Sorensen, he writes about this. He says, Thus Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to birth both firm up as well as encourage these young Christians in their faith. This is the first of five times in this chapter he refers to their faith. Notice also Paul's description of Timothy as our brother, minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Timothy, uh, uh, Timothy, Paul's young assistant, was indeed a brother. He was a servant of God, but he also was a worker with Paul. The implication is that he was a hard worker in the ministry. Paul is confident in Timothy. I believe that Timothy is trusted because he's been tested. Timothy has gone through persecution himself. Timothy has stayed side by side with Paul when things got tough, when things were difficult, when things were challenging, when they were persecuted. Timothy has left all to go with Paul in this work. Remember, Timothy was just a a, a young man at this point when Paul is coming around to his area and, and goes full force. And those around him said, take Timothy with you. He'll be a great one in the ministry. But notice this, there's something much more important than who Timothy is and what he's like, but it's the job that he was sent to do. It is a good thing that Timothy is a brother, because you can't help a church unless you're a brother, unless you're in the Lord, right? Unless you are saved, that's that idea. 
minister of God, fellow laborer in the gospel, but here's what he came to do. To establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Guzik writes, Paul wanted Timothy to do two things. To establish and encourage the Thessalonians. Both are necessary, but establishing comes first. Encouragement can really only come after we are established in the right uh, direction. Otherwise, we are only encouraged in the wrong course. Here's what we're getting at. Is that he had to do both, and both are necessary. Why? Because Timothy was pastoral as well. Pastoring cannot just be encouraging. I wish it was. (laughs) I wish I could do it all the time. I wish I could stand up here and smile at